Turning your Bibles to Matthew 14, we're continuing our study of the sayings of Peter, where we're not only just looking at the statements that he makes, because originally, you know, it looked like it was going to be 10, but there's more than 10, because under those 10 things on the outline that I originally gave you on the first handout, there are more statements than that. We're, we're not only seeing the statements, but some events. And as we look at this thing, we're going to learn a lot. We can think about salvation and discipleship and faith and failure and victory and service and ministry, all these things. This morning, we're continuing to, to move in, move, as we moved in this study, we're going to see one of the most famous events in the Bible, and, and it is where Jesus walks on the water. <clears throat> what we, most people don't know that in that particular event, there are four miracles. I teach this usually when I teach this, this passage, uh, like one, when somebody says, you want to talk on something, sometimes I'll do this passage, and there are four miracles in this passage. Uh, which nobody sees them. Everybody basically sees Jesus walking on the water. That's the obvious miracle. There's a little bit more, and we'll see it, because we see that uh, Peter also walks on the water. We'll see in this, that Peter's third saying as we go through our study. So there's a lot of great things there. Well, most of you know the Mississippi River. Mississippi, I grew up in Meridian, Mississippi, which is on the west side of the state, but I also lived in Vicksburg, Mississippi, which is right on the river. And I was in the second and third grade in Vicksburg and went back there many times. It's, it's gigantic. When I went to Dallas, they were talking about the Trinity River, and I said, the Trinity River is not a river compared to the Mississippi River. And so one time I have this friend, his name is Mike Ray, and uh, we were, he, his hometown was Vicksburg, where I grew, I lived there for a short time, but he became a really good friend. So when we, I was coaching at Mississippi State, he said, Let's, let's go back to Vicksburg and walk the National Park there. I said, yeah, we'll do that. But we also, he also said, let's get out on a little boat on the Mississippi River. Y'all know how much I love water, right? Y'all know I hate water. I don't even want to be in water. I like to watch the ocean, but I don't want to get in the ocean. I like to look at a swimming pool, but I don't want to get in a swimming pool. He convinces me to get into a small boat on the Mississippi River. Okay, so, the, so far this is pretty good. We're out there. I'm holding on like this, and everything's fine. And then a barge comes by. And it, they look like they move slow, but they don't move that slow. And they have waves. And so after that barge came through, all of a sudden, everything started going up and down. And up. I mean, we were holding on because it was about to flip us out. I said, if I ever get out of here, I'm never coming back to this again. <laughs> and I mean, I said, I don't like water to begin with. Whose idea was theirs? Well, you know, you're scared because you're in this big old thing. Well, in this passage... Peter and the guys are in a boat, which is very comfortable to them because they're fishermen. It's at night. They're supposed to go from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the other, which should take about two and a half, maybe three hours at the most. In fact, from where they were to where they were going was probably less than two hours. And they don't make it. There's a storm. And we find Jesus coming out to them, walking on the water. So we're going to see that. As we remember our study, we started off by saying that uh, Jesus knows not, what, not only what we're like now, but what we can become. Because when he saw Peter, he said, you're Simon, but you're going to be called Peter, which means the rock. And so Jesus does that. And then as we looked at some of the sayings, the first saying that we saw was Peter's first saying was, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Peter saw the holiness of Jesus. We already know that Peter had already believed, but the idea there is that you see his holiness and perfection, and we see ourselves as sinful and fallen and needing a Savior. So that was the first statement. Then we saw just recently Jesus' second statement, and he said, we left all things and followed you. And that was where the rich young ruler 
and which dealt with salvation, and Peter, the follow, dealt with discipleship. So we saw the contrast between salvation, which is a gift that costs us absolutely nothing, which comes by faith, and discipleship, which is work and costs us our lives. Well, in this section, it's one of my favorite passages, and it's Matthew 14. Jesus feeds the 5,000. He prays. He walks on the water. Peter gets on the water and has the wrong focus, and Jesus says, we will not see every bit of this today. It's kind of a longer passage, and I want you to see some of the great things that are in here. Uh, and for some reason, if we go way over, if we start going over, I might stop us just because I, I don't want you to, to, to leave, out any, leave any of this out. It's so good. Let's talk about the feeding of the 5,000. It's 5,000 men, not counting the women and the children. Everybody always says Jesus fed 5,000. He may have fed fifteen to 20,000 people because that's just was the men that were counted. It didn't count women, wives, and children. And so what happened? This, this uh, crowd had followed Jesus to a remote area. And while he's out there, he's basically been teaching, and he turns to the guys, and he says... And doesn't tell it all in Matthew, but he tells it in Mark and Luke and John. Feeding the 5,000 is the only miracle that's shown in all four Gospels. So he says, uh, in fact, one of them says, we need to send them away to find something to eat. And he says, you give them something to eat. And so they say, well, we don't have anything. It's going to cost way too much money. We don't have that kind of money. And Jesus said, uh, they don't need to give them. Go away. You give them something. Well, they said, well, they have five loaves and two fish. One of the other gospels, Peter, Andrew brings a guy up. This is a little boy that has five loaves and two fish. And don't picture loaves like loaves of bread. Picture two little probably round aspects of bread. And then the fish, don't picture a big fish. Picture a little fish almost like sardines. So he had five sardines and a couple of crackers, you know, and that was it. And, uh, uh, or, or four, I'm sorry, five loaves and two fish. So they had two little fish and five things. And so there are, and so what happens, he feeds them all. And it's a miracle. And one of the things that I love about it, it said that everybody ate and they were full. You realize that some of those people had never been full in their lives. They had never had enough food that they could have eaten anything they wanted. And they ate all they wanted that day. And so then he does something that is amazing. We got two questions. Why did Jesus send the disciples away? Why did Jesus send the crowd away? So first, why did Jesus send the disciples away? Look at verse 22. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. So he sends them both away. The large crowds of people, maybe 20,000 people, he sends and tells them to leave. He puts the men and puts them in a boat and says, go back across. I, I should have had a map, but this is the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. On the northeast side of the Sea of Galilee is where they think the feeding of the 5,000 was. Bersedia and, and Capernaum is on the other side, so they would have just had to go across the northern part of the Sea of Galilee, which may have been four miles, may, maybe not that far. They should have been able to make it in just a couple of hours. So he sends them away. He actually says, look at this. He said, he sent them, go ahead of him to the other side. He says, I'm coming, you go ahead. If I'm them, I'm thinking, how's he coming? Is he coming in another boat? What's he doing? How's, how's he coming? How's he going to make it? Well, why would he send them away to, on the Sea of Galilee? Well, uh, I can't get... Two things. He wanted to remove them from the situation. We're going to find out what's happening in just a second. And he has to test them. He's going to test to see 
if they trust him. Does God allow things to come into our lives causing us to what? Trust him? Count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials. Why? Because the testing of your faith works what? Patience. You have to trust him. He wanted to remove them from the situation. We're going to see what the situation is in just a second. And he had a test for them. The second thing is, why did he send the crowds away? Well, it doesn't say so much here. It just says he sent the crowd away. But in John chapter 6, they wanted to make him the king. They were about to announce that he would be the king and he would throw off the rule of the Roman army and that he was going to be their king. Now, Jesus didn't come to, to defeat the Roman army. If he'd come to defeat the Roman army, all he had to do was say, all the Roman soldiers are dead. They'd all be dead. He didn't come to fight the Romans. He came to die on the cross to pay for sin. They're saying, we need him to be the king. That's what Mark, uh, the Gospel of John says. They were seeing Jesus not as Messiah and Savior, but as the one who could defeat the Romans and take care of the nation. We could say this. We thought Jesus came and offered himself as the king of Israel. That's exactly right. You could say, well, if they wanted to make him king, what's wrong with that? What's wrong is they want him to be king to rule and defeat Rome, not the king of kings and the Lord of lords and to rule in righteousness and justice. So sort of a little different thing there, okay? So they're not seeing Jesus in the right way. So he sends them away and look at verse 23. After he'd sent the crowds away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. So Jesus goes and he prays. Now I want you to stop and think about something. Jesus is praying for who? Who do you think he's praying for? You have any idea? Where are his disciples? They're in a boat. Now, he's already sent the crowd away this evening. And we thought, let's just pretend those guys left at about 4 or 4.30. 4.38. They left at 4.38. And so how long should it take them to get across? By, by 8 o'clock, 3 to 4 hours, they should be to the other side. Well, it's now past the evening, so it's, way past, it's past 6. And Jesus is praying. We're going to find that they're not, they're not to the other side. They're not even halfway to the other side. Well, what has happened? A storm has come, and where they should have made this thing in about two and a half hours, they're out in the middle of the lake, the Sea of Galilee, and they're stuck. And what's Jesus doing? He's praying. Have you ever been in the middle of something stuck? I mean, sometimes in our lives, it, it may not be the Sea of Galilee, but it's something. And something's going on in our lives, and we feel like we're stuck. We don't know what to do. We've got all kinds of trials, all kinds of problems, everything. But do we realize that Jesus is praying for us? In fact, the Bible says he's our intercessor and our advocate. He's our intercessor. Hebrews 7.25 says he always lives forever making, to make intercession for us. And then advocate, he's, he's there when we sin. So when we sin, we can go to Jesus. When we don't sin, when we just need to talk, when he's always there. So look what happens. Uh, verse 23 again. Then after he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. So instead of them making it across, they're sort of stuck and they're battered by the wind, and it's contrary, and they're, they're trying to get across, and now here comes Jesus. You know, what about the disciples? 
They had left and headed across the Sea of Galilee to get to Bethsaida, which is not very, I put seven or eight miles there because it, some people have further down and I made, but it's probably only about four miles. It's probably not that long. And even though they were experienced fishermen and they had been on that water forever, they're stuck. And verse 24 says they were many stadia. That was 600 feet. They were about two to three to three to four miles out. So they're about in the middle across this thing. And if you notice, it says they were already a long distance from land, battered by the wind, by the waves. And it says the problem, they've run into a storm. They're battered. They're harassed. They're hit by the waves. It's a picture that the boat is tossed by the waves. Look at that. We found this. Uh, Chelsea found it for me. That, look, that's, that's them. You know, they're in there. That's, uh, that may be Jesus. Uh, I, I didn't look at the picture very well, and it may draw that that's Jesus in there, or it may be before Jesus got there, or it could be after, but it's not going to be after. It's not an accurate drawing if that's Jesus. If it's somebody else, it's the guys waiting for Jesus to come. But anyway, they're in the middle of a storm, and it's going up and down, and they're battered and harassed. Mark chapter 6, verse 48 says they were straining at the oars, and the Greek for straining means to dig. They were digging into the water, trying to get the boat to go, and they couldn't get the boat to go. Now, watch this. This is what's amazing. Verse, 20, uh, verse 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Okay, when did they leave? The earliest they could have left is five or six. Because it was evening, that's 6 o'clock, when he went to pray. He's already sent them out, and he's already sent the disciples, uh, the crowd away. So let's just say he, left, he sent them away at 5 o'clock. So if it was 12 o'clock, how, how long had they been in the boat? How many? Seven hours. The fourth watch of the night was 3 to 6 a.m., They've almost been in that boat for 12 hours. They've been on that water at least nine hours, maybe 10 hours. And a trip that should have taken two hours or three at the most, they've been out there, let's just say, nine hours. What do you think they're thinking? What would you be thinking? Here's what I'd be thinking. Where's Jesus? Why did he tell us to go? Why didn't he come with us? What would have happened if he was here? Maybe this wouldn't have happened as he was here. How did this happen to us? Where is Jesus when we need him? Where is he, by the way? He's praying. Who do you think he's praying for? I think he's praying for them. Sometimes trials come in our lives, and we say things like, where is Jesus? You know, I'm praying, and I don't hear anything. I'm praying, and I don't see any answers. I'm right in the middle of a storm, and nothing is happening. And Jesus says, don't worry. I'm, uh, first of all, I'm praying for you. And sometimes in our lives, you know, we're in, uh, there are many of us maybe in this room or in a, in a boat in the midst of a storm, and we just don't know what to, have to do. And we think that maybe we're by ourselves, but God is there and Jesus is there. And look at the next verse, in, the four, uh, in verse 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He came to them walking on the sea. Now, I want you to understand something. Where are they? They're about, they're about halfway across, right? I've read, I've read commentaries, and they'll say, Jesus was walking on the sea. He wasn't walking. They'll say, he was on the shore, and they were out there near the shore, and he's walking on the shore talking to them. Because some people don't want to admit 
that Jesus walked on the sea. They're not near the shore, are they? They're three to four miles in. They've been out there for nine or ten hours. And all of a sudden, they look out. Their ship is going up and down, wind, waves, everything is going everywhere. And they see some something. And they see somebody walking. And they realize it's Jesus. And he's walking on top of the water. Now, think about the waves and everything. He's just walking. It's just like a turmoil. It's not like, you know, just walking on something. So it's just moving everywhere. And he's walking. He came in the fourth watch of the night. He came to them walking on the sea. Now, listen. A lot of people want to deny the miracles in the Bible. Did, you, did God part the Red Sea? Yeah. Did he bring all those grasshoppers in there? And, and, I, mean, did he, I mean, does he do miracles? Did Jesus raise from the dead? Yes. Listen, if you're going to believe one miracle, believe them all. You know, I mean, God does miracles. Jesus does miracles. Well, what's going to be the reaction of these men? Notice it says, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea... They were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. When they saw him, they, they, they were afraid. What was the reaction by the disciples? They looked at him and they saw he was a ghost. The word ghost is phantasma in Greek. We get phantom from it, something that's like in a dream or something that's not real or something that looks real or something that you can see through. And so they saw him and they went, it's a ghost. And, and they might have even recognized who it was, but they... They said, what, what, and they cried out in fear. They were afraid. They cried out in fear. What would you have done? Let me ask you something. First of all, if I was in that boat, I'd be in bad shape because I don't like it, right? I mean, I was already in bad shape when the boat was going up and down like this on the Mississippi River. Can you imagine? I've been on the Sea of Galilee, and it was calm, and we made it all the way across uh, on a boat when I was there in 19... Uh, I can't remember what year I went, 70... Six, I guess. I can't remember when I went. And, uh, but I was never in there. They say that storms are fairly common on the Sea of Galilee. And so these guys are going up and down. And I, I'm going to tell you, sometimes in life we say, when is this storm going to end? I mean, it's been nine hours. That's what they're thinking. Sometimes in our lives we say, when is this, how long am I going to have to put up with this? How long am I going to have to go through this? How long is this pain going to be there? How long is this problem going to be there? How long is this situation going to be here? And we look up, and who's there? He's always with us. He's always with us. What has he been doing? He's been praying. He's always with them. And we're about to see. Well, first of all, is that a miracle? That's a miracle right there. That's the first miracle. There's going to be four. But that's the first one. So they saw, they, in the fourth watch of the night, he, he came to them walking on the sea. The disciples saw him walking on the sea. They were terrified. They said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. They're all scared. And immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, what? Don't be afraid. Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. When we realize that Jesus never leaves us and that he is in control of the situation, we should be calm. Is he with you now? He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. What should you what? What should you fear? So he's always with us, right? Is he in control of all things? I mean, even things that he allows things to come in our lives, the ups and downs, and we make choices, it still fits in his plan. So when things go wrong, when things aren't what we want them to be, what should we say? Lord, I have to trust you. I don't, I don't understand it. I just have to trust you because you're allowing this storm 
And so you can see the guys out there, and Jesus says, don't be afraid. Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Take courage. The, the, uh, by the way, the Greek word for take courage there literally means be cheerful. <laughs> be cheerful. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. He didn't say count it all joy for the trials. Count all joy when you're in the trials. There is a difference. Wow. So watch Peter. We love Peter because Peter talks when everybody else doesn't talk. Sometimes he talks when he shouldn't. Sometimes he talks when he should. Watch what he does here. And Peter said to him, this is going to be Peter's third saying, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Now, that's a powerful statement. It's a first-class if in Greek. Peter's not saying, if it's you, I don't know if it's really you. He's saying, if, and it's true, if it's because it's you. If, and it's true that it is you, then he doesn't say, let me come out. He doesn't say that. He says, command me to come out. He says, you make me come out. You command me to walk on the water to come out to you. He says, command me to come to you on the water. Peter's third saying, Lord, if it's you, and it is, command me to come to you on the water. Now, I'm going to tell you, I don't like water, so I'd never done. I would have never said that. I would have said, could you stop the storm? That's probably what I would have said. Peter says, hey, if it's really you, and it is, command me to come out on the water. Peter's third statement, empower me to do something that I can't normally do. In God's power that is in us, are we able to do things we're not normally able to do? I mean, we can live for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We can serve the living God. We have the power to be faithful, to serve, and to do what God has for us to do. He's given us gifts, talents, and abilities. And so in God's strength, in fact, we put it this way, hey, command me, order me, order me to come out. You make this so. Tell me to come to you. See, what is impossible with men is possible with God. Listen, there are many of you who would say that with your personality, that you're more, uh, you're not an outgoing personality. And yet, God can take your personality and use you to share your faith with people where you might not normally even think about talking to somebody else. God can use you to do that. He can take the gifts, talents, and abilities he's given. He can, he can do what's impossible with men. It's possible through him. He's going to take Peter, and Peter challenges it. And that's what Peter does. I mean, that's why we love him. If it's you, and it is, you command me, order me, order me to come out. What does Jesus say? And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. How many miracles we got so far? How many? Two. There's four in this passage. Do you know what they are? Have you, well, when I say this passage, this event, one more is in this passage, and then we got to go to another, one of the other gospels to get the last one. We'll get them. We won't get them today. So you have to, if you want to know, you have to kind of look ahead. Okay? So God can take us 
and use us to do anything he desires for us to do. I can do all things through what? Through Christ who strengthens me. When we read that verse, he's not saying I'm going to be an NBA player, right? That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about in the ministries that God has given to us, you can do whatever God has for you to do because he is your strength, he is your shield, he is the one that's going to take you through it. So Peter's out there. He's, he's going to do it. And that's why, and, and by the way, when Peter gets on that water, well, who do you think he's looking at? He, there's, there's Jesus out there, and Peter, he says, come on. And he goes, what do you think the guys in the boat were doing? I mean, the storm is still going. They're probably going up and down, but they're going, he's walking on the water. He is. He's walking on the water. And, and that looks really good. You know, I, I love the passage in Hebrews. He says, seeing we're surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses, let's lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily entangle us, and let us run with endurance the race that before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. How do you run the Christian life? You keep their focus on Jesus Christ. How's Peter going to walk out on that water? Got to keep his focus on Jesus Christ. Well, the wrong focus. Peter took his eyes off Christ and looked at the wind and the waves. And we're going to see, we won't see it today, we're going to see Peter's fourth statement, fourth saying in this passage. Look what happened. He said, come. Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus, but, ooh, it's always there, isn't it? But, see, I'm really happy, but. I'd really like to do that, but. I really think I could do it, but. I don't know if, Lord, but, it's always that way. He, but seeing the wind, he became frightened and began to sink. And I'm not going to say the rest, because the rest is his fourth saying. <laughs> but look what happened. It's the wrong focus. See, we, there's two ways we can live. We can live looking to, to, at Jesus, keeping our focus on the Lord, seeing him through the word of God, keeping our focus on our Savior, or looking at our circumstances. Listen, here's the truth. If you live the Christian life looking at your circumstances, you'll always sink. You'll always see everything is going wrong, everything, and you'll sink. If you live the Christian life with your focus on Jesus Christ, running the race with endurance, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, if we run that race looking at Jesus, we're going to be okay. Now, Peter did so good by saying, command me to come out. And Jesus said, okay, come on. And so far, we've seen two miracles. And we're going to see Peter's fourth saying, which is a very short saying, which is a very simple saying. And we'll see that next time. But here's my question. How are you living the Christian life? Looking at Jesus or looking at the circumstances? Prof. Hendricks always had, had all those good jokes and those good statements. He'd come into class and he said, I talked to a person the other day. And he said, I said, how are you doing? And they said, oh, I'm pretty good under the circumstances. And Prof said, what are you doing under the circumstances? Where do we keep our focus? On the circumstances or on our Savior? Wow. So let me give you an application. Let's trust God in the trials, problems, and circumstances of life. He's always there. What's he doing? He's praying for us. He is your intercessor. He is your advocate. When we sin, he's there, our advocate. When we're just going through life, he's the intercessor. Holy Spirit knows what we need to pray for, and when we don't, he tells Jesus, Jesus tells the Father. Do you understand that? That's how it works. That Romans passage when he says, we don't know what to pray for, but there's the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us, and the one who makes intercession then tells Jesus, who then tells the Father. 
So it's, they got a whole system. So you can come boldly to the throne of grace. So remember, Jesus is praying for us. He's our great high priest. And, and number two, he's always there. In the storms of life, he's with us. <clears throat> he may be outside the boat, standing on the water, but he's with us. And Jesus is our power. He is our strength. He is our shield. He is what, what we, the only way we're going to make it. And that's why we have to keep the focus on him. Let's understand that God is faithful. Let our request be made known to God. Peter said, command me to come out. That's his third statement. His fourth statement was a request. And we're going to see what it is. And, of course, you know what it'd be. It'd be the one I'd say, too. What did he say? Lord, what? Save me. I'm going down. So that's going to be the fourth one. So we already got the fourth one. We'll see some more things about it next time.